Limitless Range. Welcome to another episode of Limitless Range Podcast. I am Travis Garner here with Logan Sella. As always, we're back. And uh, what episode are we on? Episode 20? This might be 20. I, I think, think this is the big two zero. Double uh, X, baby. The double X, as they say. So today, we're going to kind of just chat a little bit about some uh, general NBA talk, maybe um, you know some trade rumors, things like that. And uh, we're going to chat a little bit about the World Series because, I mean, I know we're a basketball podcast, but basketball's not really... No basketball on right now. Yeah, gotta... not, no basketball on right now, so we're going to... We both watch baseball a lot, obviously, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then I have a little bit of an interesting segment for us planned today. It has nothing to do with basketball or baseball, but uh, we will get to that later in the episode. That'll be what we close out with. So, um, Sella, talk to me. World Series, what'd you notice? So, to me, there was probably three or four things I'll really remember from this year's World Series. Obviously, the Dodgers won in six. Um, you know, the first thing was Randy Arozarena for the Rays had probably the greatest postseason anybody's ever had, most home runs, best slugging percentage. I think he had the most hits, too. Just unbelievable. Even in a losing effort, uh, he was a rookie. In his rookie year, basically, he was the best player in baseball for the last month and a half of the season, which was incredible. Uh, second was, you know, obviously Kershaw and some of those guys for the Dodgers finally breaking through. I know that was that was probably – you know, the best part about you know, seeing the Dodgers win was just Kershaw and Roberts, those two, because they've been so beleaguered with all the Dodgers failures the last, you know, half decade, really. And, and I, I don't know. I've Honestly, I, I was kind of – I don't want to say I was rooting against Kershaw, but I think there's some kind of a, like a tragic hero element to him where it's, it's just kind of great drama to see him go out there and sometimes fail. But I was, I was happy to see him break through. Third was obviously the incredible finish to Game Four. I'm guessing you saw that, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And then at the end, unfortunately, with the COVID ending, really, with Justin Turner testing positive in the middle of Game Six, and then coming back out on the field controversially after the celebration. So that that was, I mean, that was just four things I think I'll remember about this year's World Series. Yeah, I agree. I remember all those things, and also, I mean, just I really enjoyed the narrative of just. I, I wanted the Rays to win just because I thought it'd be a cool story. But at the same time, the Dodgers winning was a cool story too because they made it, what, the last two? Well, they made it three out of the last four years, I yeah, think. Yeah, and obviously losing to the Astros in 2017 and, I mean, obviously knowing what we know now, yeah, it, that, it leaves a – And the same with the Red Sox the, the yeah, following year. leaves a sour taste in your mouth a little bit for the Dodgers. So I was happy to see him finally get it done. Um, I was happy to see – Kershaw finally performing the postseason. Um, he's kind of has had the moniker of playoff Kershaw over the you know his the course of his career, but uh, he really showed up for them, especially in the World Series, which uh, I think kind of cements his legacy as a great pitcher. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. I mean, and, and so yeah, Kershaw had he he pitched two games. He only gave up two runs, went eleven and two thirds, struck out fourteen hitters. I mean, he was at his best when they needed him, and I think. You know, it was something they kind of brought up in the World Series, at least, is they didn't overuse him. I think that was some there was some element to that, like especially last year, giving up the the home run to, to Howie Kendrick. He was, came in in a relief appearance on short rest, and they never did that this year. So I think that that was kind of a key there. But yeah, absolutely, great great to see him break through. I agree, and I kind of feel like the the Rays were a bit of an underdog in this. Obviously, I mean, I don't 
I definitely did not expect the Rays to make the World Series. It's kind of it's kind of a cool story because you know they, I I don't know if you expected them to take the Dodgers to six or not, but no, I mean not really. I mean L.A. was a pretty you know strong favorite before the series. Uh, the, the Rays just didn't really have the hitters. I mean Rosarena did all he could, but that lineup was just kind of overmatched compared to the Dodgers. You know. Superstar team, you know, Bellinger, oh, yeah. Betts, Turner, Muncie, Seeger, who won MVP. I mean, the Dodgers were just stacked. Yeah, the Dodgers were definitely stacked with, uh, with not only offensive, but there's offensive talent. There's some people on that team that are really good defensively, and there's people, there's really good pitchers on that team. I mean, they're they're a really good all around team. Yeah, so I mean, they were they were they were the best team all year. You know, they dominated the National League. They were a deserving one seed, and then they did get challenged by Atlanta in the championship series. They actually got down three to one, but you know, yeah, they were the best team all year and a deserving champion. I agree. I agree. It was, it was cool to see them win. I, I won. Did you see uh, at the end of Game Six, or not quite the end, but in Game Six, the the final game, it was Snell was pitching for the Rays. He was in the sixth inning, I believe. He'd only given up two hits prior. There was a runner on first and one out in the sixth. And the manager took him out. Did you see kind of the big I did. hubbub around that? What did you think? I kind of feel like most of the time when managers take out pitchers, um, I don't think there's really any pitcher that enjoys being taken out of the game. But I kind of feel like the manager knows when to make the right call and knows when, when his pitchers – that's your job as a manager is knowing knowing all your guys. I, I feel like on a – not on a personal level, but like knowing – the signs of when they're they're getting gassed or when they are frustrated, right? And I mean, so I, I here's here's what I think. I guess maybe I consider myself a little bit of a defender of the analytics and new age way of thinking. You know, I kind of you know I talked about hard James Harden and the Houston Rockets on this show, but so the thing was is all season Snell had never you know gone further than six innings, and right there in the sixth inning that was as far as he'd ever went all seasons. So for everybody that wanted to say, oh, just leave him in, he was pitching so good. Well, he'd never done that the whole season. He'd never got into the – he's never faced the lineup the third time through. So, I mean, I just – sure, it sounds good, but how can you get to the biggest game of the season and go away from what you did all year to right. get you to that point? Exactly. I, I get where you're coming from. And if he never went over six innings the whole – really the whole year, then, I mean, if that's been – Working for you the whole – I mean, obviously it's been working. You got to the World Series, so why change up what you're doing? Exactly. I mean, I think just that's that would be coaching malpractice, really, to, to do something in a not just a game, but the game of the season that you'd never done prior to that point. I think, yeah, it kind of looked bad because of how it turned out and who they brought in, but I don't know. I just don't – I don't think it's as cut and dry bad decision as everybody kind of made it out to be. I agree. But on that note, we're going to take a quick break here on Limitless Range. And when we come back, we're going to go over an article on NBAanalysis.net. And it's called Seven Trade Packages That Would Jumble Up the 2020 NBA Draft. So we're going to go over that, and then we'll get into our super fantastic mystery final segment. So stay tuned here on Limitless Range. We'll be right back.
welcome back to Limitless Range. We are back. And uh, as I mentioned before the break, we're going to talk about uh, an article on NBAanalysis.net by Grant Afseth um, on NBAanalysis.net. It's called Seven Trade Packages That Would Jumble Up the 2020 NBA Draft. So let's uh, slide right into this, shall we, Sella? All right. First, the Detroit Pistons received the number four pick, and the Chicago Bulls received numbers, the number seven pick and Sekou Dumboya. Now, I don't really, I haven't heard much about Sekou Dumboya since he since he uh, got drafted. I mean, I don't know what he's been doing. Yeah, I know he had, it was like a crazy poster dunk. I think it was against Cleveland in the middle of the season. It was awesome, but I, I, I'm with you. I don't really know how he's done so far in his NBA career. So his first season with the Pistons, he played 38 games, uh, played about 20 minutes a night. He averaged 6.4 points per game, shot 39% from the field and 28% from three, so not the best. Um, 3.1 rebounds and about an a half, about a half an assist and a half a steal a game. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think the major draw of Sekou Dumboya coming out of the draft was his defense. I mean, he really this is that's kind of a small sample size, you know, 38 games, 20 minutes a night. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting around draft time to say, oh, we could trade up and get this pick. But I I think it'd be kind of early just to bail after, you know, less than 40 games on somebody you picked in the first round last season just to, to move up and, and get who exactly in, in this year's draft. I think it'd, it'd be kind of a rush from Pistons management to, to bail on this guy so early. I agree. I mean, he really – he hasn't done much, but as as you said, it's it's really early and it's, you know, he's – he has a, it's kind of a small sample size. He hasn't done, had a lot of playing time. So, I mean, he could just be someone who comes into his own a little bit later in his career. The Atlanta Hawks received Drew Holiday, and the New Orleans Pelicans receive num- the number six pick, Cam Reddish, and Dwayne Dedman. Now, I'm not terribly upset with this trade, but at the same time, Drew Holiday needs to be moved off the Pelicans because he doesn't really fit their timeline. He's 30 and they, they're kind of going the younger route. But that's kind of the same way I feel about the Hawks. I mean, they're all their guys are young. They're going the younger route. So why would they trade for a 30-year-old Drew Holiday? I mean, I think the fit would definitely be there with Holiday and Young just because, you know, Drew can play off the ball a little bit and he would defend opposing point guards because Young doesn't really do that well. Um, but I think this would be kind of a little bit too much to give up for him. I mean, like you said, he's a, a 30-year-old point guard. He's not a tremendous score and I, I think you know with a new coach especially I think New Orleans is going to want to keep him around just to mentor Zion and those young guys and I think you know Stan Van Gundy the new coach I think you know with the new coach there and a young team I, I don't think that would be you know someone that they're going to give up lightly but I don't know I, I think he probably ends up staying put at least maybe till the trade deadline yeah I think I definitely think that this is more of a deadline deal as I mean, the, he would be someone who would be moved at the deadline as opposed to on the dra- on draft night. But, yeah, I don't really see – I mean, I guess that kind of helps the Hawks. I mean, it gives them a little bit of defense. And, um, if I mean, if the Hawks are trying to go win now, then maybe. But I I think you just keep on the path you're on if you're the Hawks. I mean, the, they weren't the best. The Hawks were 20-47. and 47, But at the same time, that's – I think the Hawks are on a good path right now. I mean, I think that they're on their way to being good. Um, but I don't know if I'm, that's an interesting trade for, I think for both sides. Um, and that for the Pelicans, I mean, you get the number six pick, you get Cam Reddish. The, uh, you, so you get a young asset and you get the number six pick to pick up another young asset. So I think that's a great trade for them, but yeah, I don't know. At the same time, it's kind of a weird one. Next, 
The Cleveland Cavaliers received the number 14 pick, the number 19 pick, and the number 26 pick. The Boston Celtics received the number 5 pick. I guess I don't really understand this one. I mean, if you're the Celtics, you're kind of you're going you're in win now mode right now, and I don't think you want to take the time to develop someone who you're going to draft at number 5. I mean, if you could trade 14, 19, and 26 for someone who could help you now, like um like a center or um you know, a, maybe a backup guard or something like that. But if you could trade those picks for someone who could help you now, then, I, then I'm into it. But trading for the number five pick just doesn't really make sense to me for the Celtics. Yeah, I know we're a radio show, but I was nodding my head as you were saying that there. I, I'm with you. I think this doesn't really make sense for Boston. If you're going to cash in all of your trade chips, I think you need to do it for somebody that can help you win now, not, you know, a, a 21-year-old or a 20-year-old prospect who might be good in three or four years. You need somebody that can help you win the championship next year because, you know, you're right there. They were a few bounces away from beating Miami, and, you know, who knows? They were as good as any team in the Eastern Conference, I think, this year. I agree, and I, I like I said, I don't think drafting someone is the best uh, move at this point, so I, I, think, I think I say no to that if I'm the Celtics. Next, we have... The Chicago Bulls receive Bradley Beal and Ish Smith. The Washington Wizards receive the number four pick, Wendell Carter, Kobe White, and Otto Porter Jr. I, I don't like this trade at all. I thought Kobe White was supposed to be your point guard of the future, and you're going to trade him away after one season. And then, I mean, Otto Porter I'm okay with getting rid of. I mean, I don't think he's bad, but his contract is just ridiculous. The number four pick, I mean, I think if you're the Bulls, you pick at, the, at that number four spot. I think you, you take that pick. I mean, I think trading away Zach Levine isn't going to be a terrible idea at this point because you can capitalize on his value, maybe get some younger assets. I mean, I I don't know how much longer Zach Levine is going to want to waste the prime of his career being on a terrible team. So, I mean, yeah, and I don't know why Bradley Beal would want to go to the Bulls, in my opinion. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. No, I'm with you. I think this is kind of a, a lateral move for both teams. I think, you know, first of all, I, I'm – I believe Washington is going to want to see what Wall and Beal look like together, you know, to at least start the season. I think if Beal is going to be moved, it'll be at the trading deadline just because I think, you know, Washington is going to want to see, you know, what Wall looks like this year and how that partnership shakes out just because, you know, those guys are so dynamic and so talented that if if they're clicking and on all cylinders, then, you know, Washington could have a playoff team. But, you know, if not, then – you know, I'm sure they're going to be looking to move Beal, and, and I'm sure the phone lines will be open there. I agree, and I I mean, I think Bradley Beal is more suited to be traded to a contender. I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe the Lakers could put together a package, but I don't know, they, they don't have a lot of assets. I mean, maybe the Mavs, if they wanted to put together a package for Bradley Beal, they maybe could, um, but I just don't think the Mavs have enough to give up for him, but... Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of this trade for either side, honestly. I mean, I guess it's okay for the Wizards because you you get a lot of young assets in um, Wendell Carter, Kobe White, and then Otto Porter. Didn't Otto Porter play for the Wizards originally? So I guess he's going back to the Wizards, which would be weird. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Next, the Charlotte Hornets receive Rudy Gobert and Royce O'Neal, and the Utah Jazz receive the number three pick Nick Batum and Malik Monk. This is weird. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know. I don't know why the Hornets would want Rudy Gobert. I mean, he well, he's a anybody would want Rudy Gobert. He's a former def, two-time Defense Player of the Year. He's a great defender. Does does getting Rudy Gobert and Royce O'Neal put 
the Hornets over the top. No. And you're giving up your number three pick for Rudy Gobert. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, I agree. This seems awfully one-sided just because, you know, Rudy Gobert, the number three pick, I mean, Rudy Gobert is is a really good player, but I don't know how exactly valuable he would be on the open market just because, you know, so many teams right now, they don't want centers that, you know, play inside and, you know, a defensive first guy doesn't really shoot it, doesn't do a whole lot on offense. You know, I think... Maybe Utah, if things don't go well early on next season, might look to move him just to, to kind of shake things up. And, I, you know, he's at the end of his contract and, you know, definitely a piece that would, would get some kind of attention from other teams. But I don't think he would demand this type of value. Yeah, I agree. That doesn't really make sense to me at all. So next we have the Golden State Warriors receive Miles Turner and TJ Warren. And the Indiana Pacers receive Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, and the number two pick. I kind of like this trade. <laughs> I think that the Warriors need a center. They have Steph. They have Clay. They have Draymond. I mean, Miles Turner, I think, would be a great addition to the the Warriors. They need that inside rim protection. He's one of the best rim protectors in the league. He's a great shooter, a third splash brother, so to speak. And TJ Warren is a great wing scorer. I mean, you plug him in at the, at the three, you got Steph, Clay, TJ, Draymond, and Miles Turner, I think that's a championship caliber team right there. I I love this trade honestly because I don't think the Warriors want to make the second pick just because they're most of their guys are older. So I think they're trying they're in win now mode. So I think trading that pick is what they're going to do. But I love this trade for both sides. I agree. I think Golden State really to me is the team that I'm going to have my eye on for this draft. I think they have the most intrigue to me just because. You know, even though we we didn't see Clay or Steph really last year, most people, including both of us, we we, we expect them to be right in the championship hunt again, and, and to have an asset like that number two pick, you know, it just even as good as an asset as it is, it just doesn't really fit, you know, their timeline like we've been talking about with some other teams. And I think you know, trading that pick and trading Andrew Wiggins, you know, I think that's probably the move to make, and, and I'm excited to see what they do I think there's a lot of intrigue and a lot of you know ways they could go and and I'm I'm guessing they're going to get a deal done to get rid of that pick and maybe get rid of Wiggins but I'm interested to see what it could be I agree I really like that trade honestly I mean if I would be kind of stoked if that was pulled off because I think the Warriors would would flourish with uh Miles Turner at center and finally to round it out the Minnesota Timberwolves received Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers received the number one pick, Jarrett Culver and Josh Okogie. That's interesting. Uh, I I don't hate it, but I don't love it. Um, I think that kind of jacks up your spacing if you're the the Timberwolves. But I mean, I don't know if would you would you have Ben Simmons run the one and then put D'Lo at the two? I think I'd probably let Russell handle the ball for the most part. Just have Simmons, you know, play like a forward type was kind of what he came into the league as you go know, he has those you know uh, prototype capabilities as a you know big long wing you know physical can score inside so I, I think I'd probably let Russell handle the ball I think this is it, it's intriguing but I just don't think it would happen just because you know with Philadelphia bringing along Doc Rivers you know a veteran coach and, and they invested a lot in him and that core I think you know they're going to try and win now and I don't, I don't think they'd jump ship on you know Simmons or Embiid, especially not before the season starts. I agree. I think if one of them gets moved, it's going to be at the deadline or 
um, you know, barring any major injury, they're probably going to have good seasons. And, you know, maybe they have a really good season and their value jumps up. And um, because I think I think Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid is not the the future for the the um, 76ers. I think I would rather keep Embiid over Ben Simmons. I mean, I don't know at the same time, though. Maybe I'd rather keep Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons, I think, is a more versatile player than way more versatile player than Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is is good. I mean, he's great, but he's a bit injury prone. He doesn't he hasn't played. I don't think he's ever played a full season. And I don't know. It's up to them to decide, but I think I I don't know. I feel like I'd take Ben Simmons over Joel Embiid. It's an interesting argument. I I was kind of in the Embiid camp just because he's so special. I mean, like even, you know, we talk about Porzingis and Anthony Davis a little bit, but there's just not that many uber talented big guys out there like him you know there's you know Anthony Davis out west Jokic you know maybe Porzingis if you wanted to put him up there Giannis maybe but then maybe Carl Anthony Towns I'm not huge on him but that like that's the list like there's only six or seven of those guys in the whole world and and but you're right I think the the weight concerns and the injury concerns are legitimate and it's a point guard league right now and, and Simmons can play that position so I think he probably is ultimately more valuable well, that is the end of that segment. Um, that was seven trade packages that would jumble up the M- the 2020 NBA draft by Grant Afseth um, of NBAanalysis.net. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hop into our super secret, I guess, life segment. And I don't know what we'd call it, but it's it's a little little different than anything we've ever done here on Limitless Range. So everybody stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Limitless Range. We are back. And um, as I mentioned before the break, we have a little bit of an interesting segment for you guys today. Um, I know we're a basketball podcast, but with there not being much basketball to talk about right now, um, we decided to, to do a, a just kind of a life music segment kind of thing. Um, so basically what we're going to do is we each have listed our top five favorite artists all, all time. So it could be bands, um, Hip-hop artists, rappers, singular people, whatever. We've just listed our top five favorite artists. Five being low, the lowest, and then number one being our favorite of all time. Now, um, we're going we're gonna to each say each number. So I'm going to say number five, then he's going to say number five, and we're going to each talk about each uh, artist, talk a little bit about our favorite songs, things like that. All right, so number five for me, um, I, I listen to... Just as far as music genres, I listen to everything all over the map. I listen to um, a little bit of country, some like 90s hip hop, like Wu Tang, stuff like that. Mostly what I listen to though is like um, is like 90s grunge, rock, um, heavy metal, or um, rap, like modern rap. So that being said, number five of my top five favorite artists of all time is Pearl Jam. Now, Pearl Jam is a 90s grunge group. Um, they're, they still tour today. And, I mean, some of my favorite songs by Pearl Jam, Black from 10, their album 10. Um, 
And uh, Even Flow is a really popular one. Uh, Jeremy's a really popular one. Uh, Alive, I like that song. Um, I don't know if you've heard any of their music or not, but... A little, not a lot. I mean, I know they're as good as it gets in that genre, though. They're from Seattle, yeah? I believe so, yes. Seattle grunge band. I mean, you know, they're, they're kind of the standard, really, for that genre uh, in my imagination, in my mind. But, yeah, I mean, I you're right. I remember, what's it? Uh, I remember they had, like, a an album come out right around Christmas one year and like they played it on Sports Center all the time and I was like a little kid and I was like that's awesome and I like told my parents I wanted the album they're like you don't even know who Pearl Jam is I'm like yeah but it's, they sound cool all right Sella so give us your number five I'm going not quite super far throwback but uh, about you know maybe a generation ago maybe I'm going with Nelly at number five do you listen to much Nelly I've heard some of his stuff uh, I know he did that that whole what's is it like i don't know the name of the song but there's a really popular song that i know of his that was super big in like the early 2000s oh yeah ride with me yeah that's i don't know what it was called but yeah i mean that's kind of how he was like he's i he's got a, a pretty fairly deep catalog but it's just so good at the top i mean ride with me country grammar air force ones he's he was just really good and i think he almost gets forgotten about just because he kind of came before Social media, like our generation, kind of doesn't, you know, totally remember him. But he was so good, man. You gotta, you gotta check him out. Number five for me. All right, Nelly and number five for Mr. Sella. Number four for me. Now, as I mentioned, I'm a big, big metal guy, and um, in when I say metal, I mean like actual metal, not like the streamo stuff because I hate that stuff. Um, but like actual like '90s. 80s, 90s, early 2000s metal, and pretty much the mecca of metal in that era is Metallica. I love Metallica. Um, I own pretty much all of their albums on vinyl and on CD version, obviously, and stuff like that. Um, but I'm a huge Metallica fan. I mean, there's so many songs you could get into. There's uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls is a classic, Enter Sandman, Sad But True. Um, you could go into like... Um, until it sleeps. Have you ever listened to that? That's a really good one um, that not many people know about. Uh, and then you know you could go into like um, mem- the memory remains. I mean, there's I there's a I like pretty much everything Metallica has put out. So there's too many songs to list. Yeah, I hear you. Good pick. I mean, I like kind of like Pearl Jam. Like I don't know much about metal music, but I know if I wanted to start listening to metal music, I would listen to Metallica just because. You know, they've been the gold standard for forever. So yeah, I mean they they're you know still kicking, but yeah, they're as as good as there is. Uh, that, we'd listen to Metallica like in the weight room. We'd lift with the football team for whom the bell tolls. That was always on there. But yeah, that's that's a good pick. I, I like that. Okay, for me at number four, number four, I'm going with Rascal Flats. Do you listen to them much? I like Rascal Flats. I like quite a few of their songs. Um, I mean I wouldn't say quite a few, but I I like the the main ones that everybody knows, like Life Is a Highway. Me and my gang. You ever heard that one? That's a good one. I like that one. Um, and then there's one more that I was thinking of. Um, um, is it My Wish? That song is really sad, but I love it. Um, yeah, so I like a few of their songs. Rastal Flats is good. Yeah, man. They they just got a lot of uh, good songs that, you know, upbeat, sad, slow, anywhere in between. They're just really good. And I, I think they're from Ohio. So, you know, Midwest group. Easy for me and you to get behind. They're just really solid i mean and a lot of good songs something you didn't even mention you know bless the broken road mayberry 
just good all the way up and down. You know, I can't really go wrong with any of their songs. Um, so next for me, number three is, as I mentioned, super into metal, super into like, also in super into like alternative, alternative rock, alternative metal, and the mecca for alternative rock slash metal, I think, is Tool. I don't know if you've ever listened to Tool, but they're a little weird. They're actually a lot weird. They're out there. Some of their songs are are they're known for having weird so- weird sounds in their music and like they're they're kind of interesting and weird um and they have deeper meanings behind their songs uh but i their vocalist Mater James Keenan i think is one of the greatest vocalists of all time he has a insane vocal range and i'm big on bands where you can go to the concert and it'll sound almost exactly the same if not very similar to the record and Maynard James Keenan is the mecca of sounding exactly the same as he does on the record. And, I mean, his vocal range is pretty amazing. Uh, some of my favorite songs by them, um, 46 and 2, Sober. And then, I mean, there's all sorts of different songs. So, yeah, Tool's my number three. I'm sold. I haven't, I will admit, I haven't listened to much of them. I, I know of the the name, and I, I mean, I couldn't really, you know, put a face to much of their music. But, it, I mean, the way you describe it, I think, you know, that's that's what you're looking for in a band really. And I, you know, I'm not like a big live music guy just because, you know, it never really quite sounds as good as it does like on the radio or in your headphones. Like, I don't know. It seems like to me, you're, you're paying for almost a diminished sound experience. So that seems kind of backwards to me, but I, I like where you're at with that pick. I like for me, number three, I went with kind of a, a classic, maybe again, just a little bit before our time, but I went with Lil Wayne at number three. I mean, you know, he makes some current stuff that's just okay, but in his prime, you know, early 2000s, mixtapes, you know, big hits, you name it, he was just so good. I mean, he's one of a kind, and he, he's, his flow and his beats, are they're just so good, and, and, you know, he's done it for so long. He's one of the best ever, and, and you know, I've, I've kind of started listening to more of, of him here down at, at school just with, you know, other people that have listened to him too, and, and he's the best, man. I, I don't know what else I can say about him. I agree. Um. I don't know much about Lil Wayne. I don't listen to a ton of his stuff, um, but the stuff I do listen to, I like a lot. Um, I mostly just listen to the mainstream songs that everybody knows. Um, but I think he's super talented. Um, when I when it comes to like rap and hip hop and stuff, I'm super into like lyrical rap and you know stuff that has meaning behind it. And he he does a lot of that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm into Lil Wayne. I I don't know a ton of his stuff. I don't think I could name probably five of his songs but um i i never tell anybody to turn it off if it's on if that makes sense if i had to give one recommendation go listen to swag surf it's on because he he did they is that a song or an album it's a it's a song it, it was on his uh, no ceilings mixtape which is legendary by the way but it was, it was like 15 years ago and they just remastered it and put it on apple music so go listen and go listen to that it's fire gotta gotta check it out Next, number two for me. Now, this is the only hip-hop artist on my list, and number two for me is Logic. Now, I I love Logic. I, I love pretty much everything he's put out, um, all his albums pretty much. The only one I didn't really care for was Everybody, but I liked a few of the songs on that one. Um, his new project that he just put out, he said was going to be his last because um, he wants to be a father, which respect to him, you know, admirable. Um but no pressure. He just put out, um, and then he's done um, "Confessions of a Dangerous Mind," uh, 
Young Sinatra 4. Young Sinatra 4 is probably my favorite album that he put out. Um, but yeah, Logic, I mean, I, I pretty much love everything that he's put out. Um, some of my favorite songs by him, um, Homicide is a really good one. I'm, th- I'm sure you probably heard that with Eminem. Um, Wu-Tang Forever is a really good one because I love Wu-Tang Clan. And um, to have Logic, which is my favorite rapper of all time, and Wu-Tang together on a track, that was super, super cool. Um, and then obviously you have the sad ones like the the one eight hundred two. I don't know the full number, but it's the suicide hotline number. Um, I can never remember the full name of the song. Uh, but you have sad ones like that. Um, his his new album No Pressure is probably my favorite currently, just because I listen to the, I've been listening to that the most. Um, so yeah, Logic is my number two. I haven't listened to him a ton, but you know I I've heard people you know like you say he's just a one of a kind talent and you know kind of a little bit like Lil Wayne just you know there's nobody else really quite like him you know sounds like a, a good dude like you said you know wanting to take time away from music to start a family which is great uh, even the you know the suicide hotline song while it's kind of sad it's kind of it's a great thing for mental health just because that's something you know people can look back to and point at well even if we don't quite know the the number I'm sure somebody out there does and it it rolls off the tongue and you know that that's probably saved lives so absolutely I I think that's a great pick 1-800-273-8255 is the full name of the song by Logic um and as I mentioned when we were talking about Lil Wayne I'm super into like lyrical rappers and I think Logic is the epitome of of lyricism as a rapper I mean he's maybe one of the one of the fastest and most concise and clear rappers we've ever heard maybe i mean you could make the argument for him for Eminem um i think Joyner Lucas is another really good one that he's he's a really fast spitter but he's really con- clear and concise um but yeah logic is my number 2 so my number 2 it's a new a little bit of a new country singer i'm not sure i'm guessing maybe you've heard some of her maybe not Marin Morris yeah she's a, a sort of new Kind of just broke in in the last maybe two or three years, but she's excellent. Uh, she just has so many. She has a great voice, and it's it's really unique. I'm not really sure how I describe it. It's not quite. It's definitely not pitchy, but it, it's just it's almost got like a, a different kind of twang. Not like a southern twang, but it's just really unique. And all of her songs kind of have some of them have some you know great depth, but others are just really easy to listen to. Uh, '80s Mercedes, My Church, Rich. I don't know. Maybe you've heard them just on the radio. I don't know if. If you're a big, big mainstream country listener, but she's she's really good and and one of my favorites, and she's become one of my favorites really quickly. So before we get into our number one, we're gonna do a couple of honorable mentions. So honorable mentions for me, Carrie Underwood, I think is one of the greatest female vocalists of all time, in my opinion. I think her vocal range is just insane. Um, I mean, I think she can pretty much sing anything and sound amazing. I mean, there's a video out there of her doing singing Paradise City, and it was by Guns N' Roses, and it was amazing. Um, so I think she she doesn't really have a set style. I think she can sing anything. Um, and then another honorable mention for me, I mean, Avenged Sevenfold. I, I love a lot of their stuff. Um, I, I think Linkin Park is another good one that I love. Um, 
So, yeah, there's a couple honorable mentions for me. So, get a couple from Sella here. I mean, I guess it's kind of just basic and easy, but Drake for sure. I mean, just because the the depth and breadth of his catalog right now and just so many hits and, and stuff that's easy to listen to. I mean, I you know, obviously he's had some slower songs or some with deeper meaning, but, you know, he's just a, as good as a pop artist as there is right now or in the last, you know, five years at least. So, I mean, he's got to be up there. Uh, Kenny Chesney. Another country singer. He's uh, me and my brother really loved listening to him back like in high school and and just so many good songs and a lot of soul to him and just a really good dude and he's he's you know, as good as a country singer as there is for me. I agree. I really like Kenny Chesney actually. I like a lot of his songs. I was I listened to him growing up a lot. Um, all right. So on that note, we'll hop into our number one. So my number one, as I mentioned, super into '90s grunge rock like. Nirvana would be another honorable mention for me. Um, but my number one favorite artist of all time is Stone Temple Pilots. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever heard of them? No, he's shaking his head no, which I, it was hard for me not to hit you right there that you've never heard of them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but Stone Temple Pilots is my favorite band of all time. Um, there's, they're a 90s grunge band band kind of and they do modern stuff too they're still putting out albums but some of their older songs my favorite album of theirs was core it was their first album they ever released and um some of the songs from that uh dead and bloated have you ever heard that that's a that's a really good song um uh plush wicked garden creep is another good one um and then from their second album i mean there's things like Interstate Love Song is a super popular song that a lot of people like. And I even like some of their newer stuff. I even like most of their newer stuff, like uh, Guilty, Meadow, um, Roll Me Under. You know, there's a lot of their modern stuff I like too. So, yeah, Stone Temple Pilots is my favorite band of all time. I'm really unfamiliar with them. Do they, they make music currently? Yes. How, like, how recent – What was, Core was the album you said you really liked. Yes. When did that come out? Core was released, I believe, in 1992. So they're, that's that's the, was their first album they ever released, and um, I'll pull up their uh, their albums real quick so I can have a proper knowledge of because I don't remember all of their albums that they released. Um, so their first major album was Core um, in 1992, and uh, then they released uh, Purple in 1994, and then uh, Tiny Music Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop in uh, 1996. And then um, they released number four in 1999. And then after 2001, they took a about a nine-year hiatus. Um, and then they came back in 2010 and released another album. Um, and the lead singer, um, Scott Weiland, was, I think, is probably my favorite vocalist of all time. Um, he's super, super talented. And another one of those guys where it sounds exactly like he did on the record. Not so much in his later years because he was super into drugs, um, but he they actually came back, as I mentioned, in 2010 and released another album, um, and then they actually fired Scott Weinland in 2013 for just his drug problem was just out of control, um, and they brought on uh, Chester Bennington. Are you familiar with him? Linkin Park? The lead singer of Linkin Park, Chester Bennington, they brought him on in 2013 to be the lead singer, um, and then he was there until 2016. And um, Scott Weinland actually passed away in 2015 of a drug overdose. Um, he was 48. And 
Um, and then ever since, I think, 2017, their lead singer has been Jeff Goot, um, guy from The X Factor. He was on The X Factor a couple times. Um, but he's super good. He sings the old songs really well, and he, they'd be doing new projects, um, and he's super good on those. So, um, yeah, that's where they're at right now. So they're still touring, still um, making music. They just released an album this year. So, yeah. I really like – like I said, I mean, I really didn't know much about those guys until – Till today, but I'll have to give them a listen. I mean, I, I certainly got to admire just the longevity to, to keep continue putting out music, even with you know different combination of people, which I think is kind of rare. I would imagine with big bands, but I'll have to give them. I'll give them a listen. I feel like I don't know, man. You're going with such a like off the radar, like non mainstream pick. I feel kind of like basic and lame with mine, but like number one for me, like is Travis Scott. Like he's he's just He's one of, like I said, he's kind of one of a kind, just like, especially with that super auto-tune voice he does, which is just kind of awesome. It's lit. Yeah, like, he, I, like I, I don't know, like, I, I'm like, I'm not a huge music person, like, I'm not like, like an audiophile or, or someone who is super invested in, all right, music's coming out here, this, these new artists, I want to listen to this, this, and this, like, Travis Scott, to me, is just put it on and, and jam, like, everything he puts out just sounds crazy good. Uh, he's got some really cool lyrics, I think, and it's just it's easy to listen to, and it's just kind of perfect for what I'm looking for almost. I mean, Birds in the Trap, Sing McKnight, Astral World is just all-time good, I think, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's it for me. I haven't really listened to much Travis Scott other than like Sicko Mode because I feel like everybody's heard Sicko Mode, um, but maybe I, maybe I need to check out some of his other stuff. I haven't really listened to much of it, but... You're making it sound like it's pretty it's pretty amazing. So um, so with that, um, we have one more thing. So um, before next week's episode, we um, each of us is going to pick one of the other person's artists and listen to a few of their songs, and then we're going to report back next week and say what we think about the artist. So for me, I'll probably check out a little bit more of Travis Scott. Um, which one of my artists would you like to pick out i would recommend stone temple pilots i feel like i got to now if they're number one i mean and i that's the the band on your list i know the least about so i think that'd be that'd be a pretty easy research project i think i would like you to recommend me two songs to listen to of of travis scott that you like maybe if they're your favorites not including sicko mode because i've heard that more times than i could count uh sweet sweet on birds in the trap sing mcknight and then if maybe if you wanted to go on, on that album again, I would go Way Back is the name of the song. Or maybe Astral World, I would go probably Stargazing. That one's one of my favorites. All right. So I'll give you a couple songs for Stone Temple Pilots to kick off your fandom because you're going to love them after this. <laughs> um, I mean, like I said, my favorite album is Tor. That's, I, think the, I don't think that there's any contest that that's their best album they've ever released. Um, so from Core, I, I think... Um, Plush is a really good one. Um, Dead and Bloated is a super good one. That's like probably my favorite song by them. Um, and then from uh, Purple, you have Interstate Love Song. I would check that one out. Um, and yeah, I think Interstate Love Song, Plush, and Dead and Bloated. I'm with you. All right, deal. Interstate Love Song. That's that's a great title. Strong strong title. I like. We're off to a good start there. Yeah, I agree. Great title. Um, and then you can check out Creep, too. Creep is a little bit of a softer song. But on that note, we are going to end this episode of the podcast. Um, a little bit of a different segment this week, um, but we'll report back next week, and um, 
give you guys an update on what we what we learned, what we saw, what we heard. Um, and yeah, so with, on that note, we're going to end it off here. Uh, I am Travis Garner. Logan Sulla. As always, thank you guys for listening to Limitless Range, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.